Everyone knows the iPhone changed the world. Whether you wanted to video chat with a friend across the world or just look at cat videos on your way to work, the iPhone changed our way of interacting with the world. As it turns out, it also changed the world of usability benchmarking. The iPhone revealed an unmet need. So, Inga de Bleeker co-created the user index. The letters stand for usefulness, satisfaction, ease of use, and reliability. So those are the four dimensions that we measure in the user index. And that does give a, a bit more of a comprehensive overview of sort of what today, I guess we define as the user's experience. With the iPhone, it wasn't just anymore about ease of use and learnability, but now it was about delight. It was, it was just about that satisfaction and it just became about more. And, and so measuring a user experience just became something that we felt needed more dimensions. The open source user index poses 10 naturally worded questions to users to gauge their experiences with a digital interface. We did a number of experiments, just trying to fine tune the statements um, and, and the way we sort of calculate the scores and then also what those scores means, because again, you know, what does a 3.9 mean versus a 4.2? Uh, so we have a nice sort of a nice scale all the way from green to red with, with orange in the middle that kind of helps un give an understanding of where you truly sit. In addition, of course, we have the historical data, which by now is quite significant from you know, eight years uh, worth of um, studies that also help, help companies understand where they sit within their industry in terms of their score. We also use it for inclusive experiences. Uh, we, we've tested it out uh, and anything from websites to mobile apps to conversational experiences. Uh, so it's quite versatile as a high level benchmark. And the most rewarding part for Inga is hearing secondhand how it is helping brands all over the world. It's a little bit hard for us to know. We, we do definitely get emails from either people who are interested or people say, oh yeah, I've been using uh, the user index and it's really been working out uh, well. A, a consultant at Porsche came to us, uh, this is about two years ago, and he said, you know, I, um, I'm evaluating a benchmarking score for Porsche, and I, um, I looked at a number of different ones, and your score, the statements, they really hit the values that that brand is going for. And because of that, I've, I've recommended your score. And so that really kind of hit something where it's like, okay, yes, these statements are relevant to the user experience, so relevant, they're relevant to the brands themselves. This is the Ready, Test, Go podcast brought to you by Applause. I'm David Carty. Today's guest is UX expert Inga de Bleeker. Inga is a UX designer, a UX researcher. She has built and managed UX teams and been the driving force behind UX process implementation across organizations. Inga is the founder of Outrider UX and also its principal UX and conversational AI consultant. Over 30 years in the business, she's seen it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to UX strategy. And that's what we spoke about. Inga, thank you for joining us. Let's start by setting the stage. Why do we want to capture usability metrics this takes time, investment, and effort. So what's the benefit, and why do we go to the trouble in the first place? It does indeed. It takes time, investment, and effort, absolutely. 
Why do we want to measure it? Because we want to understand our progress, right? We, we start with um, a certain baseline, obviously after having identified what the metrics are that we want to actually keep track of, very important part. Um, and, and once we have that, we set a baseline. Where are we at right now? And we understand the goal. Where do we want to go? And, and so the way to gauge that is by doing something that is metrics or data driven. The other advantage of doing that is that hopefully there is improvement, right? You are working towards your goal. Now there's a very clear way to communicate progress, to communicate, let's call it success. And so if you are um, part of a team that is working towards improving that user experience and you need more budget, you need a tool, you need whatever you may need, now you really do have some hard facts to go to an executive team and a manager and saying, look, this is what we've done so far. This is good stuff. Give us some more. And we live in a data-driven world now, right? More than ever, data drives business decisions, hiring decisions, even personal decisions, right? So with that in mind, uh, explain to us the importance of not only measuring usability in a comprehensive way, but also in a comprehensible way that everybody in the business can understand. Yeah, um, that's, that is a big challenge. Um, I think it's a challenge with data anyways. Uh, so data, you, you, you got numbers and then really right away, it's like, well, okay, I've got numbers. What do they mean? What, what, what does this really represent? The key there is to be able to provide the right nuances behind the numbers and to also look at the numbers in the right way. Uh, I actually worked with a client earlier this year, and they were they were very interested in a metrics-driven approach to their product development. And so we set up um, a, quite a comprehensive strategy for that, and it was great. But then as we started measuring early on in product development, uh, we got these super high numbers, like Oh, yes, you know, 90%, 100%. We're there. Clearly, of course, we were not there. We're still very early in development. And so what happened was, um, say there was somebody who was, who was working against the script, right? Doing QA against the script. Sure, you know, they got 100%. Well, they'd better. You know, that, that was exactly what was laid out, right? That is very different from measuring a user out in the wild using the product. And, and at the end of the day, those targets that we want to get to are for the user experience out in the wild. So it, it does really need to be nuanced. It needs to be explained. The first thing I said is that, look, you know, we, we cannot go to the executive management with these numbers. They, it, it's misrepresenting things, right? And so, so it needs to be comprehensible. It needs to be meaningful across the board. And more often than not, uh, you actually need some qualitative information, you know, some user feedback or some additional background information in order to be able to understand what those numbers truly mean. Right. And you work with clients all over the world, right? Yep. Right. So, so you must see this somewhat often, right? Well-intentioned efforts around usability and UX, but they miss the mark. Any other examples come to mind of how you see that in the real world? Yeah, so as I was alluding to uh, just earlier, is it's it's not only about the measuring, it's also about what you measure. 
-hmm. and and that where very often is where it kind of goes wrong in the first place and and that really is is something that it does require thought i mean i've i've run workshops with clients where i we were going to have a workshop we were going to talk about what metrics the, the metrics strategy what metrics to um focus on and and how to uh, collect these and etc and i give them the homework of thinking about <clears throat> their company's kpis because at the end of the day when you think about what do I want to measure, a part of it is the user and definitely part of it is the business as well. Um, and then there's uh, technology and, and a number of different aspects as well. But if we just think about the user and the business, um, that that is where I'm like, all right, come to us with your KPIs. What is your business focused on? What does success mean for this product, for your business? And it is amazing to me how that is very difficult for teams, especially in larger corporations. It's very difficult for teams to come to the table with that, to really start building out a meaningful set of metrics. And, and again, that, that sort of, well, that's step zero, honestly, right? If you don't get that right. And it's really interesting because just this morning I, um, I was on LinkedIn and I saw a thread it was about metrics and gathering metrics. And, and the comments were all about how uh, the metrics are, are measuring the wrong things more often than not and are not uh, understandable. And so this does seem to be a very systemic problem uh, throughout the industry. Now, as part of this not having the right voices in the room when you're deciding what to measure in the first place, you know, who should, who should be in the room to help define those metrics that the business will ultimately measure and make business decisions against. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you need a lot of different people in the room because you need all those different voices to be heard. The user's voice, the business voice, and, and at times the metrics and sort of the decisions on what is success will have to include a compromise between some of those voices. When, when you think about sort of um, IVR systems, for instance, you've got, sure, you've got the user experience that's important, but then you also have the containment rates and um, sort of those business constraints that, that are important as well, right? So you, you, you do need to come to sort of a comprehensive overview. And to do that, you really do want all the different stakeholders across the board, you know, including the engineers, including the product managers, UX, business, um, everybody in the room from the start. And do you find yourself being the negotiator between two sides a lot? Is that is it very conflict driven? Are you put in that position a lot? There's definitely an aspect of that. Um, now, depending on the organizations that may be easier or more difficult to navigate. Um, but yeah, absolutely. At the least making sure that there's an awareness sort of a, a, across the room, right? The mutual awareness of the importance of all of these different aspects, because everybody sort of tends to think sort of from their own uh, silo in the, they're, they're all quite, quite focused on, on their objectives. But, you know, at the end of the day, and this is kind of where it comes down to the customer experience, right? Something that really has to be driven across the board, across the different, um, parts of the organization. Ideally, what perspectives do you like to have in the room to help give input toward this problem? Is there anybody that's commonly left out or anything like that? 
I think the UX team is <laughs> probably commonly left out, or at <laughs> least that's a voice I uh, hear a lot. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's it's pretty pretty common for the product team and and uh, the business side to come together and understand that this is an effort that needs to happen. Uh, and I think it's sort of the other, you know, to, to some extent, maybe more auxiliary in a way, uh, teams that are left out or people just people just don't think about it, right? Um, that, that really, I think, uh, largely can be the case. It's just people just don't think about the fact that uh, more different people really should be involved from the start. That's the other part of it, right? I mean, we're really talking about defining these metrics very early on. So who's involved at that point in time? It is very often largely the product teams, the business side. Right. And bias is going to come into play. Institutional thinking is going to come into play, right? So what are some ways that we can reduce or eliminate those issues? Communication. Um, you know, as, as difficult as sometimes it is, and I know that these things take time. Uh, there, some of the efforts that I I've suggested and and teams have uh, sort of adopted is a committee of sorts, so a, a sort of a cross-functional committee to to come together. I mean, pros and cons there as well because everybody's already very overburdened. They don't need another meeting. Uh, right. for something that may not be directly in their daily line of sight. Um, so there's that, of course. Um, and then I think just in general, uh, HR, for instance, uh, can play a role in fostering across the, across the board to communication, inclusion, right? Inclusion in uh, the customer experience. Again, that's sort of what it all comes down to at the end of the day. Um, and, and also you, you have to have executive buy-in, a strong executive voice. Uh, that, that definitely is very helpful as well. Now, how soon in the life cycle can you begin to gather this kind of feedback? And are businesses missing an opportunity by not shifting usability testing left in the life cycle? So usability testing should absolutely be as left as possible in the life cycle. I mean, as soon as you have a prototype, start usability testing. Now, in terms of gathering the data, so it's it's a good it's a good practice to start gathering the data, uh, but it is uh, as I mentioned earlier with the example of my client, uh, that data does need to be taken with a grain of salt in terms of the bigger picture. But at least it gives you an opportunity to, again, you know, get those best practices in there and maybe refine your metrics as well. Uh, you know, just because you, you have to sort of put these metrics together at the very beginning so that you can use them throughout, uh, it's, it's sort of a big task because you'd like to refine it a little bit. And so it kind of gives you a little bit of an opportunity to refine as you go early on, not quite high stakes. You know, you won't have to go up uh, on stage and say, oh yeah, well, we don't have data for that particular time there because we were still fiddling with it, right? So right. so that's sort of an, I guess, an advantage, uh, you know, and a disadvantage there. You spoke with before about getting executive buy-in and I'm sure that one of the big obstacles to process change is just that internal resistance 
and that kind of inertia that you have to work through. How do you go about handling that and getting people on board with the program? Again, sort of a lot of uh, communication, evangelizing, raising awareness, uh, whether that's through campaigns, uh, brown bags, just in any and every way possible. It, it very much depends on the, the type of organization, on sort of the way the organization uh, works, what are they most receptive to? I mean, are they... Actually, a lot of teams these days are very distributed. Uh, even what are their tools? What what are they using as tools? What do they already have in place in terms of you know monthly meetings, knowledge sharing, things like that? Uh, and then just really kind of gauging what people are open to. Uh, you know, you've got some teams that are actually very open to just learning new things and embracing. Um, that have some sense of innovation, I guess, within the company. That So, so you kind of look at what the company values are and what's sort of already underway. And then you kind of pick and choose a little bit and kind of tack on to that. Th- that's for sure the best way to gain traction. If you're sort of starting something completely from scratch, it just takes a longer time. And and there's there's a lot more risk of things just dying you know you can right. start something up and then poof and 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 it's done and and maybe it did some good right um but but maybe not so yeah so really aligning it behind shared business goals is super important there right yeah shared business goals just you know understanding what what the business the employee experience you know what the business focuses on in that um, yep, yeah, all of those. Great. Now, it's one thing to put together a logical strategy, and it's another to execute it at scale. So what kinds of challenges do organizations face with scaling usability data collection and analysis as they launch in new markets and add to their products? Yeah, so new markets are definitely, if we're thinking globally, a really interesting um, topic specifically also because if if you're looking at if you're gathering usability metrics so you're really gathering uh, user feedback in in a data driven way um, what we've seen a time and time again is that uh, users will rate things differently in different cultures uh, whether it's because they're more positively inclined more negative inc- negatively inclined they're too polite. <laughs> Right. So not over here, right? Not in our country. <laughs> the British can be very polite. Um, sure. you know, some European countries will be a little more straightforward. And and, and it's 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 really fascinating because I've seen, um, especially in studies where you have the quantitative aspect. So you've got the data and you also have the qualitative user feedback, and you run that on the same product um, in different countries. You know, if you have a little bit of a sample size, you really have a nice little little project there in terms of really looking at truly what it means. And that, and that is what we see, you know, over and over again. So, you know, that that's again sort of the, you know, metrics are not, I mean, they're not, they're not the end all be all in a sense. They're just one tool, right? They're one tool that needs to be handled carefully, but if handled correctly, can be very helpful. Um, and, and yeah, 
looking at, for instance, the global uh, audience uh, is very interesting. And then things like if, if you've previously looked at your entire product and now you're looking at just one new feature, well, that's different, right? So again, sort of keeping all of that in mind. And then I do, I do run into uh, clients who say, well, what's the point then at the end of the day? Right. Uh, what am I truly going to learn from this? And, and that, again, is where I sort of come down and say, OK, I understand uh, this is not magic. Nothing, nothing is magic. Right. Um, so just use it, use it wisely. And, and, and that's that's sort of the, the, the goal there, really. So you have to fight that nihilistic perspective on top of everything else. Well, then why try in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's OK. Right. I mean, I. I I think it only helps to be able to explain how or where the value lies. So that's all right. I'm, I don't mind those conversations. Sure. Now, if you're consistently failing to see ROI on your usability or UX efforts, is it time to take out the wrecking ball? How should organizations rebuild their approach from the ground up? Yeah. If there's consistent issues and there are issues, no doubt. Um, my suggestion would be to to perform an assessment across the board um, to really understand where where the challenges lie, um, and it, it can be anything of very many things. I mean, it, it could be a lack of bandwidth um, for you know, just people don't have enough time to do X, Y, or Z. It could be that the metrics are the wrongs. I mean, it could, there are so many things, factors, and it's probably a combination of a number of factors. So, uh, you know, even if the answer is to rebuild, which I, I think it's gen generally more fixing than completely rebuilding, but even so, you'd want to know where exactly the challenges were so that you can avoid those in the future, right? So, so an assessment, um, an independent assessment uh, from from literally an outside vendor, an outside set of eyes, um, that, that is definitely a good first step, yeah. So that you don't fail all over again. That's right. Right. Okay, Inga, moving on to our final sprint questions here, our lightning round. In one sentence, what does digital quality mean to you? So to me, it means that a digital product works, meaning as a user, I don't encounter any bugs. Um, it is easy to use, so usability is there, mm -hmm. and it is appealing to use. So something that people will feel that they like using it. Um, if that, that, maybe that's a little bit of a bonus, um, but if <clears throat> if we can get there, then I would say that that's sort of to me digital quality. And I, and I know there's other aspects, obviously performance, things like that, that will have an impact on my user experience, right? So. What will digital experiences look like five years from now? <laughs> yeah, that's always a great question, isn't it? So on the one hand, it's, it's David, it is going to look completely different. It is, I mean, it is going to be nothing like what we do today. We are going to be talking to everything. We are going to, I mean, AI is going to be everywhere, right? No, it's not. I mean, that that's sort of, <laughs> you know, because the other side is that, I think five years from now, in many ways, very little will have changed. We will still be using the websites we use today to check our email, to, I don't know, um, to submit a claim, 
So a little bit in the middle there somewhere. I, I think so. I think you'll you'll continue to see sort of the the mainstream of what we already have. I think submitting a claim will only become easier, right? Um, little bits, because by now we're quite mature on, on some of uh sort of that, that side of the house, so to speak. And when it comes to innovation, you know, when it comes to AI, um, I think we'll continue to see a lot of a, a lot of sort of different experiments, I kind of call them to some extent, or, or, or trying to do things a certain novel way. Some of them will land, some of them will not. Uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, where do we end up there five years from now? Probably some progress, um, but no, the world's not going to have completely changed. Not exactly flying cars and things like that. I know, it was exactly what I was thinking about when I was saying this. Yeah, no, no, not yet. Still not yet. <laughs> we'll keep an eye on. Okay. You never know. Something that you are hopeful for. I would like to, I think I call it discipline. And I'm, I'm now specifically going to be talking about conversational AI and sort of that, that industry because it is a little bit more a little bit newer, a little bit more nascent, less mature. And so what we see when we think about digital products in general is we, we, have, we have the frameworks, we have the processes to do the software development lifecycle right. You know, we've been doing this, whether it doesn't really matter what type of product it is, it, it largely, you know, it can be applied, right? So we, we know how to do these things. We know what the right way to do things is. I think we lack discipline. And, and I see that then, especially in something like conversational AI, where it's still sort of very innovative. Um, and, and, but at the end of the day, if we want to develop those products in a way that they are successful. They're great products to use. We're just going to have to be a little bit more disciplined and truly go through the right processes, you know, apply the frameworks and, and just do it right rather than doing something kind of haphazard, not quite right, and then go like, ah, yeah, you know, those things don't really work, do they? Inga de Bleeker, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, David. That was our conversation with Inga de Bleeker, co-founder of Outrider UX. Really interesting stuff. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Thanks as well to our producers, Joe Stella and Sam Susala, and graphic designer, Carly Searles. If you'd like to reach out, please contact us at podcasts at applause.com. That's plural, podcasts at applause.com. We'll catch you next time.